Welcome to the Azure for Executives podcast, the show for technology leaders. This podcast covers trends in technologies and industries and how Microsoft Azure is enabling them. Here you'll hear from thought leaders in various industries and technologies on topics important to you. You'll also learn how to partner with Microsoft to enable your organization and your customers with Microsoft Azure. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Azure for Executives podcast. This is going to be a great discussion with Rob Goldbraith, who is the most interesting man in insurance. He's a keynote speaker, media contributor, and best-selling author of The End of Insurance as We Know It. Also, he's the InsureTech Business Series Man of the Year for 2020. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're really excited for this conversation. And this one's going to be a bit unique because our co-host, my co-host, the person who's always asking the questions on the show, Paul, happens to be a former CTO in the insurance space at Milliman. And we are going to play this a little bit different today. We're going to welcome him to the show as a guest. So he's going to sort of represent Microsoft's view on the insurance space. And so with that, Paul, I get to welcome you to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, David. It's uh, it's nice to be, wear, to be able to wear a different hat today. So super excited to, to talk about insurance. Right on. So let's start with Rob. Rob, you and I have had some previous conversation. And in that conversation, you told me a few things like the fact that insurance has a few problems and that it's too complex, too expensive, and not everyone has the coverage that they would like or need, but that technology can help. Even so, it needs to be relevant to consumer needs. And to support this, you've coined the term scaled, S-C-A-L-E-D, uh, as a framework to focus on the technologies you believe are transforming insurance today. And so, Rob, I wonder if you could tell us about your framework scaled, how it helps guide firms in the insurance industry. Yeah, sure thing. So, you know, I got the question uh, a, a lot uh, in terms of, you know, what are some of the trends? Uh, you know, why are we seeing this explosion of technology? How's it going to impact insurance? And um, I, I was always trying to come up with a really a, a framework or a way to think about this. And so um, what kind of popped into my mind uh, originally was uh, the whole concept of um, agile methodology or the scaled agile fr framework that obviously a lot of uh, developers and, and folks in the IT community are familiar with. And, you know, that uh, distinction from the traditional waterfall methodology of, you know, being able to um, just run in sprints uh, to deliver value throughout uh, the process, a very iterative approach rather than, right, you gather all the requirements and then you go off and, you know, a year or two later, you, you hope you got it right. And meanwhile, lots of things have, have changed in the ecosystem. So you know, building on that, my acronym scaled, I always say it's companies need to be scaled using the acronym to be agile. And so what does the, the acronym scaled uh, stand for? So uh, the S is sensors. I know uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but you know, just miniaturization, uh, there's a computer chip in, in practically anything today, um, certainly going from uh, telematics to you know, smart home and IoT-enabled devices to things like wearables, which we'll talk about, and, and many other things. And, and quite frankly, you know, I think about the, the distinction between maps and, and GPS, right? And you might have had a paper map and you're kind of guesstimating on, on drive times and things like that. Well, now, right, um, with GPS, you can read uh, the information from your mobile phone as well as thousands of others on the road. And and it can be transmitted over uh, cellular networks to uh, 
cloud computing, which is the the C in in, in scale. So you know, having all of this streaming data, um, this plethora of data, this explosion of data, it needs to be stored somewhere. And in the past, storage was at a premium. I know, um, you know, but way back when I'm, I'm going back, but in my programming days, like I would care about whether things were, you know, an integer, a floating decimal, or you know, one single character or a string. And and now, you know, a lot of those distinctions just don't matter because storage is not the the limiting factor that it was for decades um, because of of cloud computing. Um, and then artificial intelligence, of course. Now that I have all of this data and I'm able to store it, how do I make sense of it? I can't just put it in an Excel spreadsheet and and run you know a, a, a pivot table on it. That's uh, the 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 amount of of data we're talking about is too big for that. And so you need um, more advanced techniques, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and, and many other ways to come up with advanced algorithms to uh, make sense of the data and to find patterns in it. Uh, the L is localized knowledge. So again, you know, thinking about uh, the GPS example, it's it's not just knowing you know approximately where something is, but but really pinpoint uh, down to a, a particular you know latitude and longitude, not just a, a zip code or a you know a, a rating territory, but really understanding at a at a, a very granular level. Uh, for perils such as hail, for instance, you know you can live on the same street and you know one house gets three inches of hail and another house three doors down doesn't get hit at all, right? And uh, it was difficult to distinguish between those two things in the past. And, and now we have you know much more granular ways to be able to detect that. Uh, the E is uh, efficiencies in the back office, and there's a ton of technologies coming out. And there's a lot of manual touches in insurance. And I think the pandemic has actually highlighted uh, some of those gaps that we had in our processes uh, and we could benefit from automation, things like optical character recognition, robotic process automation, natural language processing, and the like, um, are unlocking a ton of value that really frankly didn't benefit insurance customers very much. Uh, and so any way that you can squeeze out expenses from the product that doesn't impact the, the customer service part, those things are, are really valuable. Uh, digitalization of solutions, video conferencing, the ability for companies to very quickly overnight go to a remote work uh, environment and using uh, software like Microsoft Teams, where we're recording this on, it was pretty remarkable, actually, um, how seamless the transition was. And I know it was a struggle for a lot of companies behind the scenes, but from a customer standpoint, I think insurers did a remarkable job of pivoting uh, during the COVID outbreak uh, this time last year. And then finally, digital uh, is the D in scaled, and really that a business to conduct business um, without having to meet face-to-face. Um, I know a lot of Underwriters and claims professionals and loss control folks talk about the, the windshield time and you know driving from you know one agency to another or one policyholder or another. And again, they had to pivot and uh, find new ways of of doing that. You know, capturing video remotely, being able to analyze it, being able to do their jobs without being face to face. And um, I don't think face to face is entirely going away from from insurance once things return back to normal. But certainly, we're going to be a lot more intentional about those face to face interactions in the future. And when it doesn't need to be face face-to-face or there isn't a lot of value to the face-to-face if it can be done digitally it will be that's great thanks for the the trip through the framework and you know that really sets the stage for us because i think paul maybe you could describe some of microsoft's investments that might even fit within the framework that we just discussed there are several technologies there and i wonder if you could take us through some of microsoft's big bets on insurance yeah, you bet, David. And Rob, that's that's fantastic. You know, I was kind of just hearing you walk through, you know, kind of scale. I mean, I think you touched the sort of the plethora of sort of scenarios and capabilities needed across, you know, kind of insurance and different insurance types. 
We, we have something um, a little similar uh, that we call our industry priority scenarios. And so you can think of that as, you know, we take a step back and think strategically, you know, how are we thinking about the industry? And then in this particular case, how are we thinking about insurance? And so scale kind of maps really well to that as, you, as you've thought about kind of the, the different capabilities across insurance and whether we're thinking about life insurance, whether we're thinking about health, health insurance to property and casualty to, you know, employee benefits, et cetera. And so, you know, certainly from, from a Microsoft point of view, I'll share a couple of points, David, to your question, um, you know, in terms of how we're thinking about how we can help. You know, and at the core, of course, and, and Rob mentioned this, cloud has, has been transformative and cloud cloud services. And so really with the advent of cloud accessibility, you know, what we're getting is you know, the opportunity to get you know, near infinite scale when we think about computing power in a, in a pay-to-use model. Um, and so that's something that hasn't been there before. You know, previously, large investments have, been, have to be made around, say, you know, HPC infrastructure, et cetera, that are very costly. Now it's all this being able to get the scale and the computing power that you need on demand in that pay-for-what-you-use model. Um, I'll also say, you know, things like, and Rob mentioned the, you know, the, the data explosion. I think we talked about this sort of this notion of, before being able to, you know, kind of consume that that data, you know, going back over time was costly, but now, you know, data is just a commodity. So that accessibility to data, and then on top of that is artificial intelligence. So it's not only being able to, you know, kind of gather that data, but it's also using artificial intelligence to be able to drive meaningful insights on that. And so across all of that, you know, kind of cloud computing power, that accessibility, that near infinite scale, paying for what you use, uh, you know, kind of the reduction of cost to use these capabilities and advancements in, in artificial intelligence uh, have been huge. Um, and then when I sort of double click on that, when I think about from Microsoft point of view of how we're thinking about some of the key areas that we can help, uh, you know, things like uh, risk modeling, of course, is, is kind of a, a key area where we've been focusing a lot of energy. It lends itself to uh, cloud and and that need for computational power uh, doing complex um, calculation processing. And of course, you know it's important to do that in a timely and secure way. So risk modeling is kind of one area that I would sort of surface as a, kind of a, a key area. You know things like and, and and again, Rob touched this in the scale acronym. Modernizing of core systems. You know core systems covers a a plethora of things. You know, um, you know it could be the back end ERP systems. It could be the key financial modeling solutions. It could be the reporting systems. It could be the back end systems. You know so it covers a a broad gamut. But we we're looking at that. And as Rob said, you know what's interesting is, you know if we look at you know kind of pre our current times with the with the pandemic, you know sort of the the pace of innovation, if you will, around those core systems. And keep in mind, those core systems have been built up over man years. And so they're complex, they're embedded, maybe some institutional knowledge isn't there. So they, they're certainly challenging to, to modernize or replace. But I think what we've seen is sort of a change in mindset or, or a change in need for pace of innovation, given the pandemic, you know, in terms of just being able to deal with, you know, just simple things like people not being in the office and, and the requirement for remote working and, and, and the accessibility to IT infrastructure that previously were, were on-premise investments uh, that now need to be accessible to remote workers, et cetera. So I think we're seeing 
a sort of a, a change in mindset or, or an increased agency to, to drive sort of modernizing these core systems, which is good. And of course, we're excited from Microsoft point of view in terms of the capabilities we have across our broad spectrum of our portfolio of being able to, to help there. And then interestingly, you know, it's really delivering things like differentiated experiences in a way that uh, organizations can really interact with their customers. I think I, I, I had the other week that there are more millennials now of any generation than ever before. And so, again, that's kind of really a, a change, a changing of the guard and a changing of mindset. And so that thinking about who the customer now is, what their needs are and what their preferences are, are very different than than previous generations. You know, it's it's much more about agility. It's much more about mobile users. It's less about uh, going in and talking to physical people about policies. It's much more about you know point in time. I want to be able to discover on my own. I want to ideally not have to speak to folks, uh, and I want to quickly be able to attain information on what I need when I think about insurance and then be able to procure that as I need be. Um, so there's a lot of things there, David, of course. But what I'm excited about, you know, is, is uh, you know, the synergies that we have as we think about these industry priority scenarios and helping the insurance industry. Rob, you know, has has the, the scale analogy um, and we have good synergies as we think about that and super excited about what Microsoft has to bring across, let's say, our portfolio of technologies. But more importantly, as well, the partnerships that we have with insurance customers, but also the partnerships we have with our partners as well. Because yeah, at the end of the day, you know, our goal at Microsoft is 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 really sort of building excellent technologies and platforms. We look to our our customers and our partner ecosystems to really drive the innovation on our platforms. Thanks, Paul. And you know, I appreciate harkening back to the scale framework during uh, Microsoft's uh, description of of what we're doing to invest, and so with that, you know, let's let's revisit scaled a bit and look specifically at the sensor piece or or IoT. So, so hey, Rob, we're going to talk a little bit about I, IoT um, and sort of its impact on insurance. And of course, we could think broadly across the different insurance disciplines. But talk to us why IoT has been so disruptive and delivered such a an opportunity within the insurance industry. You know, some of my assertions are, you know, kind of the price point for IoT devices and solutions has come down. You know, of course, insurance, you know, kind of some people say that, you know, kind of insurance is is, is dying a slow death because people aren't buying necessarily uh, new insurance. And, you know, a lot of that is, is challenges around sort of things like life insurance. But what, what are your thoughts? And of course, you're going to talk to us about the IoT opportunity, but why is IoT being so you know, kind of prevalent and opportunist, if you will, in the insurance industry? What's what's your perspective, Rob? Yeah, uh, great stuff from Paul. And and you know, on the IoT front, uh, we're very much early in the game. And and there's this concept uh, that's been described as uh, discounts for data, where a lot of uh, carriers have been out there and say, hey, you know, we'll give you five percent kind of a research uh, uh, discount uh, for data. You know, in the past, uh, maybe you had to put a, a, a dongle in your OBD port on your vehicle. Now, increasingly, right, you can do that through uh, an app on a smartphone and have the vehicle talk to the phone and, and capture, you know, all manner of things, right, your speed, any hard braking, uh, things like that. And 
you know, I, I think, again, during the pandemic, this whole idea of pay-as-you-go insurance or pay-by-the-mile insurance um, in the past was seen as, as maybe more of a novelty-type solution that might appeal uh, you know, to urban millennial that, you know, maybe they have a car, but they they either walk or, or, or bike to work most of the time, and they, they only get in the car to go out to visit family on the weekends or, or, or things like that. And overnight, folks like myself that were regular commuters now have uh, been working from home. I mean, I don't know that I even drove 4,000 miles last year after regularly driving probably between 12 and 15,000 miles very consistently over the past, you know, two decades. So, you know, if you think about the traditional way of rating something like auto insurance, where you're asking somebody's age, somebody's gender, somebody's marital status. And now I don't have to, you know, say, well, 35 year old married females are better drivers on average than 18 year old single males. Like I can directly observe the driving behavior, right? Um, through, through telematics. Like why would I care what their age or gender or marital status is when I can directly observe their, their, their driving? I mean, uh, that's ultimately what you're trying to get at. And, you know, being able to, uh, directly observe behavior rather than uh, try to use proxies uh, for risk, um, really translates into all manner of things. And so it's it's not just on the telematics front, uh, but certainly a lot of the smart home technologies. We know water losses, for example, are a, a big part of, you know, losses to a home, probably between 30 and 40% of the losses involve, uh, you know, water loss of, of some type. And there's technologies out there that can actually not just measure your water flow and, and some even uh, if they sense an unusual flow, they can shut the water off for you to prevent further leaks. But, you know, they capture a water signature uh, of your home. And so they kind of know, hey, during a regular day, there's a lot of activity in the morning as people shower and they they, they get ready and, you know, kids go to school and, and people may have gone to the office in the past. And on the weekends, you know, the the patterns are different, right? People are sleeping in and they're, they're waking up later and uh, there's more regular water usage throughout the day. And uh, so over time, it can kind of build these profiles and then be able to sense when there's unusual activity um, that, you know, it, it is indicative that there, there there may be a leak. There's a lot of things that I know we're going to get into to wearables a little bit later, but on the, the life and, and health side. So agriculture insurance is actually another one too, right? Um, to be able to, uh, IoT is often used to manage the modern farm. And so, you know, why would you not leverage the same technologies that you're using uh, to manage your operations to also manage your, your risk? And so we're starting to see some innovations there. So, you know, it could go on and on, but really I, I think there's just, um, you know, the, the sky's the limit. And it really is uh, very much about kind of reimagining the way that we rate, underwrite, handle claims uh, in, in terms of risk. But it is a, a complete paradigm shift. Uh, and so it's it's not always obvious how you go from your traditional rating or underwriting plan to this new world. And so you, you definitely have to start somewhere and you have to start capture the, the data but I think through things like you know artificial intelligence and, and others, and the the partner network that Paul mentioned, I think is another one where, you know, if you're capturing that data within your core system, and and or maybe you've you've got an extension to a partner that, you know, has an app, for instance, for your phone to be able to capture that, and then you can bring it back in or or, or make sense of it. Um, these are conversations that you should be absolutely having now, and and going beyond just I think there was a sense of capture at first, and then we'll figure out what to do with it later. Smart companies are figuring out what to do with it now and actually benefiting from it that. And so I, I think if you're not at that stage yet, you need to quickly move on because it could be a lasting competitive advantage for those that really not just capture it, but figure out how to how to leverage it for their benefit. 
Thanks for that trip through uh, some of the leading edge scenarios that you can see in the IoT space. Paul, I wonder if you could talk about some of the more forward-looking technologies that you see that will potentially have a disruptive impact on insurance. Yeah, absolutely, David. And I, I think I'll, I'll sort of think about it in a few ways. It's sort of, you know, really the, the cusp of innovation and blue sky because there's lots going on and and you know rob i'm gonna you know kind of look back over you you know kind of your scale acronym because i think that's a a good sort of guiding talk track as we think about what's happening and so you know certainly you know if i think about blue sky i'll throw it out there of course you know i think everyone's super excited about things like quantum computing um and so you know i think that just takes things to the to the next level um i'll just leave it at that there's lots of great reference uh, articles to go read out there but of course you know quantum just takes things to the next level we've already talked about how disruptive you know kind of in a good way cloud computing has been i think quantum just takes things to the to the next level but you know things that when i think about the cusp of innovation you know so things like just uh, computers computer chips etc this the innovation that we're seeing there you know, across the, the various industry leaders, they can continue to push the bar in terms of um, whether it be, you know, low power chips um, to, you know, kind of high end uh, driving uh, the capabilities to do things like GPUs on personal computers. So all that kind of stuff, is, I think, is super exciting when you think about the need to, to crunch data and drive calculations. Cloud, of course, you know, the continued innovation in cloud. Um, you know, that just continues to go leaps and bounds. So you're going to see further innovation there. But things that excite me, you know, under the core is, you know, things like, you know, with the, the next generation of data centers, the innovation that is happening there around, you know, getting further and further to being uh, carbon neutral uh, and the, the innovations that are happening there, as an example, I think are super, super exciting. And just, just that, that continued innovation in, in, the, in the cloud space. Uh, and then the expansion of data centers in, in other regions. But also, you know, again, you know, there's lots of, of, of reference material out there. You know, Microsoft, for example, recently also explored different ways of, of, of uh, how we think about data centers. So we did uh, the, uh, our underwater data center and we did some, some prototyping around that, which is a great success. So I think the innovation that we'll see around how we provide those uh, those cloud capabilities is going to be really really fascinating. AI, you know, and, and Rob mentioned it uh, earlier on as well, which is, you know, kind of there's there's the partnership between data and, and meaningful insights, and so you know, data in, in the world of cloud has become you know sort of a, more of a commodity and much more accessible. You know, AI is an artificial intelligence is is not new. You know, you can go read the textbooks from the 60s and 70s. What is new is the breakthroughs in 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 the the calculations and the innovation combined with the computing power. So I'm excited to see how you know artificial continues to evolve um, and 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 help uh, the you know and, and really you know things like RPA, things like being able to do things like anomaly detection uh, and sort of helping the you know sort of focus the skilled worker on skilled jobs and using things like artificial intelligence to further evolve, whether it be capabilities, insights, or or, or take away some of the, the de-skilled functions. Localized knowledge, uh, you know, as, as Rob was saying, you know, so the advancements on, we'll talk about wearables in the moment, but the continued, you know, sort of ability for tracking and insights and analytics 
I think is, is super interesting. So I think all these things uh, excite me. And some just some practical things uh, as well is just, again, you know, kind of on that kind of the here and now and the cusp of innovation. And just over the last week or two, for example, we feathered our, our HPC capabilities. So we re- released the HPV3 SKU uh, for those of you who are working with uh with, with HPC, et cetera. So I, I just, just lots of stuff in there, David, in terms of the, the, the here and now, and then obviously that, that sort of that blue sky, but excited on, on a number of levels in terms of, you know, kind of as a cloud computing form factors, innovation, getting to carbon neutral to innovation on cloud and services and how that's going to help uh, either us drive further insights, you know, further enable uh, the, the, the kind of the workforce. And just, you know, just where all, all the, you know, even looking at the fundamentals of the chipsets, et cetera, are, are going, um, you know, to, to allow us to do high scale computing to, to, to low power uh, devices. So lots of stuff in there, but hopefully that was, was useful. Yeah, that was great, Paul. And I appreciate the trip through some of the more innovative things that are happening that are, they're driving uh or tech that's driving innovation so that's that's great and one of those that was mentioned earlier is is wearables and i'm curious about wearables from the standpoint of is this a today reality of making a difference in the insurance space particularly in health or is wearable an up-and-coming technology and rob i wonder if you could speak a little bit about that sure thing I very much see it as an up-and-coming technology because, I again, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of what can be done. Uh, there's been kind of several iterations on wearables. And I will say, you know, early on they were um, good in concept and good in, th- in theory, but the execution perhaps wasn't there. And I think we're also learning best practices. So, for instance, um, early wearables often provided some type of uh, haptic feedback, whether that be a, a, you know, a buzzing or an audible noise or things like that. Uh, I know I've, uh, for instance, had uh, wearables on my you know, belt that you kind of wear like an old school pager for those of us that are all old, you know, old enough to kind of remember those and, and how popular they were in the, the 1990s, where if you bend over to lift something up, if you bend at the waist, it gives you a little buzz to remind you that, you no, know, you should be right bending at your knees and keeping your, your back straight and things like that. And so a great idea, but if you imagine being a, a worker in a factory and you're having to do that eight hours a day, um, all that constant buzzing, you know, might get uh, annoying or might get irritating. And so, you know, just trying to find the right balance between providing, you know, meaningful feedback, but at the same time, you know, capturing the data in the, the most unobtrusive way, uh, so that the wearable do- it doesn't feel like you're wearing a, a computer or devices. I know, for instance, um, early exoskeletons. Again, you know, trying to um, give people added uh, strength and, and less wear and tear on, on muscles and things like that, but they could be motorized, very heavy, you know, you could be really sweating and um, just be very uncomfortable to, to wear. And so, again, through iterations, we're really seeing uh, just the slimming, m- more lightweight, uh, more unobtrusive, and being able to capture a whole range of information. Interestingly enough, I will say that uh, a lot of early hardware that I saw in the wearables devices have now been essentially replaced by your your phone. Uh, your phone can capture a lot of things and uh, all of us carry our, our smartphone around uh, with us all the time. And so that is actually an amazing uh, wearable technology among the many other things that it does. Um, having said that, you know, there are limitations, of course. Um, your phone only has so many uh, sensors and devices on it to, to capture things. And so noise level, light levels, 
air quality, things like that. Those are the types of things that a phone isn't necessarily going to pick up. And so you are going to need some type of uh, specialty hardware. But this is kind of exciting because you can capture both external environmental conditions as well as uh, biometric information um, in terms of how is that person reacting to that external stimuli. So when you're running, right, is your heart rate uh, too high? Are you, you know, sweating too profusely? Maybe you should take a, a rest or a break or maybe you're getting dehydrated or, or things like that. And you, know, you mentioned uh, the, the health. I know, particularly in, in, in many Asian countries, they've really pushed the, the envelope in terms of uh, life and, and health insurance and applications and being able to tie healthier behaviors and healthier outcomes to reductions in, in premiums, both on the health insurance side and on the life insurance side, and almost gamifying it. You know, we see in the, the U.S. Uh, and other places in terms of the uh, you know, if you drive safer, right, you you see that now in your monthly premium and, and you're able to directly tie your behavior uh, to your premium on the property and casualty side. And uh, we're starting to see that in other countries in the, the life and health space. Obviously, a lot of privacy concerns go with that. And so those are the things that I think uh, here in the, the U.S. and in other countries there, again, each country has different privacy standards, but we know in the EU and the, the U.S. in particular, it's a it's a major concern. So I don't think we've seen as much advancement in, in those two continents, but it's really less of a technology uh, barrier today as it is more the, the legal framework, the insurance framework, you know, really kind of catching up to what technologies are able today. In fact, I've even seen technologies where um, it's constantly monitoring your blood alcohol level. So think about long haul drivers or things like that, that you would want to, you know, just constantly monitor and make sure that they they weren't ever um, above a certain level and things like that. So I do think over time, uh, we are going to have a lot more wearables, either that we're wearing all the time or uh, things that we use periodically. Um, I know in sports medicine, there are some technologies today that they can see how prone are you to having a severe knee injury? And you can actually do some rehab ahead of that. They're saying you're, you know, you're about to block your knee, so we're actually going to have you sit out and rest and do some, uh, some physical therapy before that occurs, knowing that being reactionary, right, can cost you know millions of dollars in terms of you know being being sidelined uh, for that athlete. And those things are going to be coming uh, to all of us. Very, very exciting. And again, we're just at the the forefront of what we're going to see in the next ten to twenty years. Hey, you know, thanks for that. And, and I find it really interesting in what you described that most of the hesitancy or the even I'll use the word barrier comes from industry rather rather than the technology itself of being able to capture some some of this stuff. And along with that, you know, I'll mention that in an earlier conversation that we had, uh, someone mentioned EKGs and all of a sudden we all looked at our smartwatches. Right. And that sort of underscores the idea that that capability of running a, a EKG even, uh, even though it's, you know, very much unsupported and there are all sorts of, uh, there are all sorts of disclaimers around it on our watches, but it's, it's there. And insurance companies are kind of being moved into the position of being the angel on your shoulder to kind of keep you healthy, if you will, in the, in the health space. And it's interesting that they have this relationship to uh, their customers that now they are in this position of, of helping you stay healthy and it's in everybody's interest. So that's just a compelling uh, scenario for, for me looking out on or looking in on the industry. And with that, you know, Paul, I wonder if you have a take on wearables you could share. Yeah, thanks, David. I mean, I guess I would start with the, you know, what, what comes to mind. I mean, I get to spend, you know, quite a lot of time in my previous life and my current life 
really sort of working uh, in the space and working with partners and vendors who are kind of uh, working around kind of wearable solutions, hardware, et cetera. So a few things I'd kind of, I would sort of throw out there that kind of come to mind that I think are fundamentals that need to be in place. And, you know, and Rob mentioned it before, you know, security and privacy concerns. So that's number one, you know, which leads to, uh, you know, kind of acceptance. And so, you know, there's, there's work to be done there. Um, and, you know, good reason that we, we have kind of policies and, 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 and legislation in place, et cetera. Um, so I think that's kind of at the high levels, you know, kind of there's differing levels of acceptance and it varies by country, et cetera. And so there just needs to be some standards and governing bodies, et cetera, and consortiums coming together to just really, I think, standardize things. Otherwise, as we've seen with, you know, kind of the, the pace of innovation of mobile devices and smart applications, you know, uh, on the, and smart devices, you know, they, they should have been delivered much, much sooner. Um, but because you didn't have that coming together, the you know, kind of across the different providers, we just had slower pace of innovation. So that's that's number one is the coming together of the the industry across kind of come at some of the key elements um, versus kind of working in isolation. So that kind of the the coming together, working together, working as a unified team with a common set of goals, I think is going to benefit everyone depending on what these wearables are going to be used for. But, you know, kind of things that go through my mind is, you know, for wearables is what, you know, what's the form factor? I mean, how many times does there's this proliferation of devices out there? Um, and so, you know, some some look better than others. Some are, uh, are easier to, to use and wear and others are more clunky. So I think form factor is important. You know, and I, I think bringing together and the standardization around that. And then there's there's kind of practicalities, right, which is, you know, what does the battery life look like? Is it really useful? Um, you know, it's only useful if you've got the right form factor, if you've got the right battery life you know, and, and, and and the inits within the devices, the right power in those devices, the right capabilities with chipsets. Same on things like connectivity, you know, is it seamless connectivity or, you know, uh, it, it is the work to be done there? And then, you know, what, what is the, the cost of these devices? Because of course, you know, depend. This goes back to the kind of the coming together, the standardization. What we tend to see with a lot of these kind of wearables is, you know, it could be anything from mainstream, well-established companies who are, who are working on these solutions to startups, uh, and you know, economy of scale and reduction in price point, uh, you know, come together. So if you've got startups who are just, you know, have a great idea, they're they're having to you know make investments in both software and hardware, then you know they're going to find it hard to to provide a you know a good price point versus maybe a more established company that's working with an established uh, you know kind of solution hardware provider so cost is is super important and then ultimately the solutions that are on these devices you know again are they well thought through um are they actually delivering to the user's needs that's kind of key or is it you know are they immature rudimentary solutions that just let the experience down I think you're seeing, you know, kind of the convergence with some of the players. I mean, of course, watches, I, I think, have become a, a common form factor. And there are some, obviously, some leading players there. And what's been interesting is is sort of the, whereas before, perhaps there would have been multiple wearable devices doing different things. I think you've seen some some interesting innovation on watches to be able to do a plethora of things 
uh, and some some super interesting innovation there. Whether it's you know anything from you know tracking your heart rate to to you know kind of doing you know kind of estimates of have you fallen over using you know, kind of the um, the geometry of of the device. So I think there is there's really some some interesting things going on. And so I would kind of underscore it, which is saying I think wearables are super interesting. I think it's important that the right thought process goes in around what what are really the problems that we're trying to solve versus finding problems to solve. So like all the really real world first party problems that are needed with these wearables versus it being a fad or a gimmick. And the more I would encourage the folks that are building these wearables, the more we can kind of bring people together so people can benefit from each other's learnings. We can open source perhaps code where we can start to standardize on um, the kind of the hardware and bring price point down, um, get get some consortiums together to think about these problems and, and, and kind of how we can really help, I, I think is key. So wearables, super interesting. I think we've seen some some interesting applications, but I think we have some way to go, David, as we still figure out the space. Thanks for that holistic uh, sort of view, Paul. And, you know, one thing I'll just throw on the stack here is, that self-interesting story, really, that you both have mentioned uh, wearables and the regulation per country. So one of the things that is really compelling about that or interesting to me is that it's it's regulation per country and per industry that is prohibiting some of this movement. And I'll give you an example that the watch I wear, which I, I won't mention what it is, but the the smartwatch that I wear is able to take blood pressure readings in real time with a firmware upgrade. But that firmware upgrade is only being made available in uh, Asian markets. So uh, just another interesting component of this wearable story. And with that, let, let's go back to the scaled acronym. And in particular, let's examine the A part of that uh, framework. And so, Rob, what are some impactful uses that insurers are finding for artificial intelligence? Is that really making a big difference for us already? Absolutely. It's huge. And it really needs to be central to companies' strategies in this space. One of the things that I think makes insurance somewhat unique is that it's a very old industry, as we know, right? It's been around literally for for centuries and obviously covers a very a basic need, that protection uh, from loss, that risk management function. Risk is not going away. Exposure uh, to loss is not going away. So there will be a, a need for insurance going forward. Having said that, we don't have global supply chains. We don't need big capital investments in terms of you know major factories, things like that. I know we're uh, recording this at a time where they just uh, unstuck that uh, huge ship in the Suez Canal that was blocking uh, all the other ships for the past week, and we were hearing about all the impacts that it was going to have on all of us. Right? For the insurance industry, we don't have to worry about events like that. I suppose there's perhaps an insurance payout tied to that, but you know, it's really about data and algorithms, and so it's actually a perfect industry for our, our digital age. And, and insurers compete, quite frankly, on algorithms and. To have the best algorithms, you need to have the the best data and the, the the cleanest data, et cetera. So, you know, within that context, I think of AI. Um, there's many different tentacles to it, of course, but uh, I think it primarily in terms of an 80-20 rule. In that we're capturing a lot of information, or we we, we could capture a lot of information that would be relevant to evaluating risk and exposure and and be meaningful all throughout the the insurance value chain. Yet 
most of the data that we're actually using is structured data, right? That's captured on an Accord application form or things like that, you know, things that we can store in a traditional, you know, relational database. And we're really ignoring uh, a lot of the unstructured data. Uh, that could be images, right? It could be videos, that could be handwritten notes. Uh, or hand-typed notes from a, a claims adjuster, right, or a, a medical provider, or things like that. And so, to me, AI, in a nutshell, is really unlocking that 80% of data that is important and could be highly relevant and really reshape or rethink the way that we think about risk, uh, but was really just, you know, too difficult to access before. And so it's going to lead to enhanced risk management. And you know, I mentioned uh, OCR and NLP before, but think about, uh, for instance, the term surgery. Right? It's great that I can read the term surgery in a, a doctor's handwritten note, but you know, I need the context. I need to know if that's you know surgery is needed immediately. If that if you know physical therapy doesn't improve this condition, surgery may be required down the line. Or you know, surgery can be ruled out. This will heal you know with without uh, intervention. So just because I can read that term surgery, I still need to understand the context in, in which that was said, right? And that's going to make a, a big difference from a claims perspective, um, and and possibly even from a risk modeling standpoint, and being able to again to use that in in rating and underwriting. So, you know, I could go on and on here, but I think it's really about um, unlocking that 80% of information that's available to us, uh, but that we weren't able to see. And oh, by the way, um, it also helps make our processes a lot more efficient and enables you know, new products, new revenue streams. We're really bringing the expense floor down. And so we're making uh, new products and, and able to reach new market segments that, quite frankly, we weren't able to serve before because of the expense ratio. It just was too expensive to provide that uh, new product or service. So it's uh, definitely helping both on the, the top line and bottom line side. That, that's really compelling. And one of the more interesting, uh, at least to me, things that you just mentioned is that insurers compete on algorithms. I've, I've not heard that before. And it really dovetails well into the use of AI. So I'll take that as something to look into, actually, the idea that insurers compete on algorithms. That's a, that's a very insightful observation. And Paul, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about Microsoft artificial intelligence technologies and their impact on maybe insurers and perhaps financial services as a whole, all up. Yeah, sure. Happy to, David. And just kind of carrying on from, from your point about AI. I mean, so, you know, in the, in the world of insurance, we have uh, obviously this this person called an app tree. So AI is, is the app tree's best friend. And, you know, it's the, as you said, the kind of the algorithms are, are king, right? It's, it's what really differentiates, uh, especially when you think about, you know, kind of financial modeling and doing financial projections. And so, you know, a lot of that, when you think about kind of calculations, as you were talking about, you know, is really on the shoulders of these app trees. And so, you know, certainly things like artificial intelligence are great because that's where you can use artificial intelligence to support what they're doing uh, as they're thinking about their their calculations, their assertions, uh, and ultimately, you know, kind of thinking about the financial projections. So at a, at a super high level, you know, when I think across sort of the insurance disciplines, you know, whether it be life insurance to health to uh, property and casualty, to employee benefits, et cetera. You know, I think the key areas I you know, I think, you know, I would call out is, you know, number one, artificial intelligence. We've talked about the data explosion. And also, you know, what I will say in the data explosion is, 
being able to bring data together from across departments. Now, of course, there's efficacy and privacy there. That the data may be being brought together that perhaps uh, wasn't intended to. But you know, with that in mind, you know, you've got this growth in data, and so of course, you know, I'll start with one of the applications of artificial intelligence is being able to drive meaningful insights, leveraging that data, um, you know, for for different purposes, whether it be uh, looking at insights around sort of the the customers, whether that be insights around you know, thinking about the, the calculations that are being run uh, and the sessions. And that leads me to, you know, kind of another big one when I think about insurance and, and the opportunity around artificial intelligence is things like anomaly detection. Um, you know, so uh, if you get poor data in, you'll get poor results out. So looking at that, looking for anomalies, anomaly detection, especially as you think about, you know, with insurers are working with huge, huge data sets and then obviously helping with decision making. Because there's a lot of pressure, you know, in the world of insurance when you're doing things like financial calculations. Rightly so, there's all things like you know, kind of the peer review around the calculations being used to signing off the results um, that have been delivered. Because th- this is all about the solvency of, of the policies and the lines of business. And so that anomaly detection and decision making is a big area. We talked about sort of you know how better to allow insurers to engage with with uh, the customers and learn about their customers and, and uh, help make recommendations to the customers. So personalization is another key area where artificial can, uh, intelligence can help using that kind of that information to be much more empowering and, and drive a much more compelling and engaging conversation with customers. And then I will also just throw out the, you know, we'll link it uh, in the show notes We've just released the Azure for Financial Services Cloud to combine analytics and AI to identify new revenue streams for, for our customers. So go take a look at that. And, you know, I think that's uh, really, you know, kind of a lots of great collateral, great innovation that we've driven with the Microsoft Azure Cloud, tailoring it around insurance. And then finally, of course, you know, fraud. Fraud is an important thing to mention. Um, and so, you know, fighting f- fraud using AI, uh, real-time remediation. And so um, we did, a David, a, a previous show with uh, Jamshed Patel about real-time data-driven decisions. And so I'd encourage the listeners here today to go go there and listen a little bit more about, we talked uh, a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of uh, looking at the data, driving decisions from the data. And that's super interesting as you think about fraud, which is obviously point of mind for everyone. Thanks, Paul. I, I appreciate that trip around uh, various aspects of, of the industry and, and uh, its applicability to AI. Rob, I want to ask you something that we ask a lot of the guests on the show. And, you know, as a forward-looking person in your role out there in the industry, the most famous man in insurance or that sort of take on the industry, what is a technology, a given technology that you think will make the biggest difference in the industry in the next 10 years? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I'll, I'll give a boring answer and then I'll uh, give maybe a more intriguing answer for 10 to 20 years out. So in, in the next 10 years, uh, it's actually cloud. 
you know, for all the reasons that Paul was just articulating. And, you know, I think there's a misperception out there that the insurance industry is really slow to adopt uh, technology, where, in fact, they were one of the the early adopters of technology when it came to mainframe computers and some of the running things in batch processes. And so during the 1970s and 1980s, you know, they adopted these big mainframe systems. And, and that was a, a big revolution that, again, has, you know, kind of been, I guess, forgotten or, or take it for granted. But you know the challenge of insurance. It's a financial contract and a or a financial instrument and a legal contract all rolled into one. And so, um, upgrading systems is a big challenge, right? It's it's not just a rip the bandaid. It's not a, a move fast and break things type of <laughs> approach. And so, you know, those of course became an, an an albatross in certain ways that you have these you know large on-prem systems that are expensive to to maintain. Um, that don't talk to other systems, or if they do talk, you've got to you know, be very intentional about that, and, and it's very uh, expensive, and, and they tend to be very siloed. And so how do you get to this future that we're talking about, and that the, the platform, the ecosystem approach, the partner network? You know, There's probably a startup that uh, has yet to exist that will be founded two years from now that will be a critical partner of yours in five years, right? And, and so when you work in that kind of environment where we certainly didn't know the pandemic was going to occur, you know, one year ago, and we don't know what lies ahead. And so agility and flexibility are just key traits that your organization has to have. And so being able to move to the cloud uh, and unlock all the benefits that doing so enables, I think, is really uh, critical for companies. And so that's why my answer is is cloud over the next 10 years. It unlocks so much of what we've talked about throughout the, the whole podcast. Um, for the 10 to 20 years, you know, I'm really interested in blockchain and, and distributed ledger technology. And obviously, non-fungible tokens are all the rage kind of right now at this moment. And I, I won't pretend to, to really understand it. But, you know, as an avid baseball collector, card collector back when I was a child to now see kind of a, a similar craze, but uh, on the NFT side, I, I do think this idea of digitizing trust is critical. You know, there's so many components to insurance that involve a lot of third parties that are not a party to the original contract. So, you know, it's an agent or broker, a carrier, and and the, the policyholder, the insured, that really forms the contract, those three parties. Yet, Again, there's medical providers, there's, uh, you know, uh, body shops, there's all sorts of other people that get involved in the insurance transaction and um, knowing which information to share, which not to share, things like that. Uh, there's a lot of manual touch points, quite frankly, today that have to take place uh, to kind of verify and to, you know, be part of this. And so finding a way to get rid of all those manual touch points and to kind of digitize trust and and leverage some type of you know, DLT, I, I think is quite interesting. And again, I think it's so early that the technology needs to mature some, but I, I think that's going to be the the 10 to 20 year technology that's very interesting to me. Oh, thanks for that. And uh, the case you make for agility and flexibility via the cloud uh, as an immediate return and uh, short-term future returns, really uh, good news for us, of course. <laughs> and uh, we encourage people to take a look at Azure as an alternative there. With that, you know, we're kind of getting down to the to the end of our episode. And as always, I'll, I'll mention some of the things that we're going to put in show notes so that listeners can come back and, and engage more. And we'll have Rob's social info so you can follow him and, and learn more. And also, we'll link up to sites about your book, Rob. And we'll have links to Microsoft technologies that were mentioned throughout the show. And finally, as always, we'll have Paul's media there, uh, social media, so that you guys can follow uh, via the show notes. So with that, Paul, uh, appreciate your 
involvement in the show with a with very different role that you played today. That was great. And uh, to Rob, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciated your perspective, and it's been a great conversation. Yeah, David, Paul, it's been a, a pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, David and Rob. Yeah, it was really fun. It's nice to wear a different hat today. Thank you, David. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Azure for Executives podcast. We love hearing from you. And if you have suggestions for topics, questions about issues discussed on the show, or other feedback, contact the show host, David Starr or Paul Marr, through the social media links included in the show notes for each episode. We look forward to hearing from you.